Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Chelsea McLaughlin, and today filling in for Laura is Holly Wainwright. Hello, Holly. Hello, Chelsea. Very happy to be here. Good to have you. I feel like I do not need to ask you to introduce yourself, but just in case... Oh, sorry. (laughs) That was rude of me. I'm just like, hi, I'm here. My name's Holly Wainwright. I'm head of content at Mamma Mia, and I'm also co-host of Mamma Mia Out Loud and Lowbrow. And if you haven't listened to those shows, rush and listen to them, but only after you've listened to this one. Do you know, Lowbrow is my favourite podcast. Oh, yay! I'm obsessed. Every week I send like an unhinged message to Em, your co-host. I'm just like, that was so good. She thinks I'm your biggest fan, which I am. Yesterday's one was about J-Lo and Ben Affleck's first time around the uh, fiancé trail, should anybody feel like going to listen. It's so good, so funny. But anyway, on today's episode of The Spill, we are going to be looking into the end of an era, really, with the last episode of Alan DeGeneres' talk show airing in the US today. And of course, it is Friday, which is my personal favourite time of the week. It is weekend watch time, so we will have two fantastic recommendations for you today. But first, the entertainment news headlines of the day. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. So a big Hollywood name is gone today. Ray Liotta died. Now, he died in his sleep in the Caribbean nation of the Dominican Republic where he was shooting a film and he was just 67. Now, if you're like, who, who's that? Then the most famous role that Leona ever played and the one that kind of defined him forevermore was in Goodfellas, which is a very famous Scorsese movie made in 1990. Now, if you haven't seen that movie and you're interested in films and movie history in any way, you have to go and watch it. Chelsea, have you seen Goodfellas? I have not. Oh, my goodness. That should be your weekend homework. I'm terrible with movies. Movies, Uh, not my thing. Not your thing. Because, yes, it's like macho gangster bullshit kind of thing, but it's like the original of that. And it is the most brilliantly constructed movie because it follows this young man from New York who kind of gets sucked into a mafia world and then it all starts going horribly wrong, as you might imagine it would. And as everything gets more hectic and more full on, the pace of the film picks up and like your heart is racing along with his heart as he's getting spied on by the FBI and all this stuff. Anyway, classic movie for very good reason. And his co-star in that, a woman called Lorraine Bracco, who played his wife in that. And it's just the most amazing performance. When he died today in her statement, she said, I can be anywhere in the world and people will come up and tell me that their favourite movie is Goodfellas. And they always ask me what the best part of making that movie was. And I always say it was Ray Liotta. There are going to be some 
of his final films released over the next few years and, well, over the next 12 months, I guess, actually. One of them I think you should put a calendar alert for is an American thriller that has the tantalising title of Cocaine Bear. So Ray Liotta stars in this alongside Kerry Russell and Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and it's directed by Elizabeth Banks, and it is based on a true story, believe it or not, about a bear in Georgia in America who ate a bag of cocaine that was dropped out of a plane by a drug smuggler. Oh, my God. Yes, I need to watch this film. Does that sound like the wildest plot of a movie that we're going to be hearing for a while? So one of Ray Swansong's Cocaine Bear next year. But obviously Hollywood's going to be talking a lot about him in the next few days and I'm sure we'll find out more about the circumstances of his passing, but quite the legend. Well, it is the end of an era. The Ellen DeGeneres show is no more, with the last episode of the longtime talk show airing in the United States today. So the big finale featured a performance by Pink and interviews with Billie Eilish and Jennifer Aniston, which actually perfectly bookended the entire 19 seasons because Aniston was the first ever guest Ellen had way back in 2003. So... Throughout the show's final week, Ellen has been sharing a lot of little tidbits and secrets from behind the scenes. My personal favourite fact was that there's actually tunnels under the set, and that's how she can move around quite secretly in order to scare famous people, which was very much a shtick of hers over what? there. And I feel like tunnels. Yeah, that's just an incredibly funny visual to me of her on her knees crawling around to oh scare Taylor Swift in the bathroom. I just love that. But another thing she mentioned was that when the show began, this was in 2003, she was actually forbidden from saying the word gay. When we started the show, I couldn't say gay on the show. I was not allowed to say gay. Uh, I said it at home a lot. I, you know, what are we having for our gay breakfast or (laughs) pass the gay salt? Has anyone seen the gay remote? Things like that. But... We couldn't say uh, gay. I couldn't say we because that implied that I was with someone. Uh, sure couldn't say wife, and that's because it wasn't legal for gay people to get married. And now I say wife all the time. It is crazy hearing that for me. It's so easy to forget how much progress has been made since 2003. And that kind of like complete denial of someone's identity feels completely unacceptable these days. In line with this, I think it's easy to forget why Ellen is considered such a trailblazer for queer acceptance and representation in media. I've only seen her sitcom retrospectively, but Holly, do you remember that time at all, that sort of 90s period where she came out? I do. So I'm old enough to remember in the 90s when Ellen was a comedian and then she had this sitcom. Now, to be honest, I was never a massive fan of that sitcom, but It started off with quite a cult following and she played a straight woman in it. And then as her star rose and it became more and more apparent in sort of tabloid media that she was actually a gay woman who was living obviously an out proud life, that became such a big issue that they felt it had to be addressed on the sitcom. As Ellen has spoken about many times, it actually killed her sitcom. 
So at the time, what I remember is that that was a really big deal, which does seem crazy, as it seems so crazy to you, Chelsea, to think that was a big deal. But it was such a big deal because it was so unusual for high-profile celebrities to be out and for actors and actresses in particular to be out, which I guess Ellen was in her sitcom, because people were like, well, no one will ever believe you if we put you in a plot line where you're with somebody from the other gender and there's no way we can handle that and it'll freak people out. And I think her then coming out, which was a trailblazing thing to do, but ultimately killed that sitcom and saw her unemployable for a long time before she came back with her TV show, tells you a lot about Hollywood history and the kind of origin story of why she became such an icon, who now has a really complicated legacy, as I'm Mm. sure you're going to tell me. Yeah, the sort of the two sides to Ellen, the very much how we're looking at her through a 2022 lens, which we can't ignore. And also this historical context of like how much she advanced queer representation and that sort of thing. And that's why I'm so interested in thinking about, you know, in maybe five to 10 years time, what will the legacy of the Ellen DeGeneres show look like? I think that is the question, right? Because is your legacy formed in the early days of your, you know, your big story or is it in how it ended? And I think that for many people now, if you say the name Ellen DeGeneres to them, people used to only have a very positive connotation, right? Five years ago, you said Ellen DeGeneres to most people and they thought of her as friendly, inoffensive, funny, that her show whole premise was about kindness and humour, that she was doing great things for mainstream queer issues, that she publicly married a woman when that was not something that was everywhere. And generally, I'd say people would be scoring her really highly. Of course, five years later, that is not really the case. But if you also think, if you asked a lot of people why, they probably couldn't tell you. There's been obviously a lot a sort of slow burn of negativity about her that started really with people saying she's not who you think she is. She's not this lovely, nice, kind person. She's a bit of a monster. And there was a viral Twitter thread where people shared awful stories about things she'd done. She sat next to George W. Bush at a sporting game, which was seen as a a betrayal of queer values in many ways because of his record of voting and suppressing gay rights. Her team at work were busted for toxic workplace culture, which is no small thing. That included allegedly racial and sexual harassment. She fired people about that. She apologised. She addressed it. But also, ultimately, she was criticised for being too rich, too out of touch. And she, I think, by that time was kind of in a no-win situation because her success, her enormous success as a talk show host, which had made her incredibly successful, incredibly powerful, incredibly rich, were all the things that everybody hated about her. And although I think that that's all very valid, and particularly the very troubling accusations about harassment in her workplace, they're not things that get leveled at successful men. And that point's been made many times, like David Letterman is still revered as some kind of legend of late night talk show, when We know that he actively, personally harassed women on his set and was a horrific boss for decades. So it's a complicated legacy, and I wonder if it will be more the former or the latter. How do you feel about Ellen? I try to think about how I would see Ellen maybe in 20 years' time when she's sort of 
like if she would have a Jane Fonda or Dolly Parton kind of thing of just being around for so long, having so many different parts of her career, and if this will stick out as the main point. And I'm not sure because the allegations, excluding the you know executive producers with the harassment claims, the whole not nice thing is a little bit wishy-washy to me. It's all you know from a viral Twitter thread and people just being like, she was a bit mean to me, she was mean to servers, which is all completely valid. But I think if we look at Hollywood, not nice is very low on the scale of terrible things that people have done. Yes. So I think if this is the defining feature of a career, it shouldn't be, in my opinion. It's interesting because when you read out the names of people who've come on her last shows, so Michelle Obama, Jennifer Aniston, like the big guns are obviously trying to are sticking by her. She's still obviously enormously popular with them. She has also done an enormous amount in terms of raising money and awareness for lots of really, really good progressive issues, and that shouldn't be forgotten. But I think that maybe one of the lessons here about Ellen is if you stay too long, people are going to find this stuff out. In America, they don't talk about tall poppies, but I think it is tall poppy in lots of ways. And I don't mean that to excuse any horrific discriminatory behavior, of course not. But it's almost like if you're going to be on a talk show for 20 years and you're going to get to that level of success, the public's affection is going to curdle. And I don't know, it feels like an inevitability. I finished my work week on my couch, ordered some food. It's time for Week and Watch. Our recommendations of what to watch this weekend. Well, it is Weekend Watch time. It's actually a huge weekend for television. I don't know if any of our listeners are big Star Wars nerds, but I oh am. My God. So I'm very excited about the release of Obi-Wan Kenobi tonight. So my partner, Brent, is a massive Star Wars nerd, and all he ever is trying to do is convince me and the children to watch Star Wars. Every sa- oh, you should. If it's raining on a Saturday afternoon, we'll be like, we should watch a movie. And without fail for 10 years, Brent's been saying, Star Wars. <laughs> and the kids go, no. He will be dying to watch Obi-Wan. I have a feeling it's in my future. It's also finally Stranger Things season four day. And this is probably one of the most highly anticipated drops for Netflix in a long time. But it is not my official weekend watch recommendation, only because every episode of the season is movie length. Like I'm talking 90 minutes oh, or more. What? Yeah. So it feels less weekend watch to me and more of like one episode a day for a week because we're not made of time kind of situation. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this brings me to my official recommendation, which is a little left field. I am recommending a movie called The Valet on Disney+. Plus. It was released last Friday, and I put it on thinking it was going to be one of those Netflix-style, so-bad-they're-good rom-coms, which are very much up my alley. So I was surprised to realise pretty early on that it was actually just good good. <laughs> Not bad good, but like genuinely a fantastic, heartwarming watch. So The Valet is a remake of a 2006 French film and it follows a parking valet in Los Angeles who is hired to pretend date a famous actress who is trying to cover up an affair she is having with a married high-profile businessman. Oh my God, I'm in. Chelsea, I'm in. So many boxes ticked just right there. So it stars very famous Mexican actor Eugenio Derbez, Australia's own Samara Weaving from Home and Away, And Max Greenfield from Veronica Mars, Ugly Betty, New Girl, all of the things. So I admit the premise does sound ridiculous 
and it is ridiculous. But the film is <laughs> sounds less, great. It does. It's less cheesy rom com and more like a, a sweet comedy about the importance of family and self worth. And it's also like a really loving tale of the migrant experience in Los Angeles. It very much feels like a love letter to those sort of first and second generation Americans. It is almost exactly two hours long, so it is perfect for a Friday night on the couch with a glass of wine or a cup of tea. It's versatile. It is called The Valet and it is streaming now on Disney+. Plus. Oh my gosh, that sounds so great. Look, I'm going to really upset Spillers because I'm not going to recommend some cool show that's on a streaming platform. I am going to recommend something that's on what we used to call normal telly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what normal telly is, Chelsea? I can't tell you the last time I saw an ad. Uh, well, you don't. luckily <laughs> on this you do not need to see an ad. But the other night I binged three episodes of the new series of You Can't Ask That on the ABC. I love You Can't Ask That. So for my money, You Can't Ask That is the best factual TV concept of the past decade. Like it's, this is season seven that's just dropped on iView and the whole season has dropped. So you can just pick and choose which whichever ones you want. If you're not familiar with the concept, it's the most simple thing ever. They get groups of people, Australian people, who are usually from a marginalised group or a special interest group, I suppose. And they just ask them questions that were submitted online. But there is something in the simplicity of the execution and how well made it is and how well cast it is that I never, ever watch one and feel bored, wish I hadn't. I show them to my kids sometimes. Like, I just think they're brilliant. Anyway, the other night I watched two of the new seasons, season seven. I watched Bogans, which is... I care a lot. Brilliant. So they ask questions of a group of self-identified Bogans of different kinds from all over the country, which is actually gets really emotional. And at the other end of a spectrum, I watched Models. They have one that is asking pointy questions from a group of Australian models, male models, former models, current models, Victoria's Secret models, fascinating about eating disorders, about rejection, about vanity, about aging, like they were both so good. And in the rest of season seven, there are going to be, you can't ask that, two groups of porn stars, dementia sufferers, prescription drug addicts, and one about postnatal depression. So, Very different to the dramas that we're watching on streaming, but my recommendation if you want a dose of real life this weekend is you can't ask that. All of them are now on ABC iView. Well, before we wrap up the show today, I know a lot of listeners have been hanging out for news about this month's The Watch bonus episode, and I'm very excited. I can reveal that it is all about conversations with friends on Prime Video, and it will be dropping in your pod feeds on Sunday. So if you haven't gone through all 12 episodes of that yet, you have a couple of days to tick that off and then you can come and join Mel and I as we deep dive on the show everyone is talking about this month. Well, thank you for listening to The Spill today. This episode of The Spill was produced by Gia Moylan with audio production by Madeline Joannou. We'll see you at mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye. If you love the show, the best thing you can do is become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Mamma Mia subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos, and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. It only costs $5.75 a month, which is less than a large coffee or a small coffee if you get oat milk. If you believe in a purpose-driven media company like Mamma Mia, whose core purpose is to make the world a better place for women and girls, please see the link in our show notes.